welcome back to the next episode of the Rebuilders Podcast. Um, here with Mark Sayers, and I'm Daniel, the intrepid sound guy, sound man, sound man, sound man, sound man. Normally behind the desk, uh, monitoring the levels, but uh, we don't have Liddy with us today, um, so I'm stepping in instead. Yeah. Well, she's uh, just taking it easy at home after not feeling 100. percent These are the new rules in yes. a socially distant environment. Uh, we did just have a near emergency situation <laughs> as Daniel sneezed and I leapt from this room like a someone leaping out of a foxhole into which a grenade had been tossed. Yeah, and then I promptly grabbed the wipes and wiped everything down. Good. Um, things you got to do. Yes. <laughs> um, Mark, last week we looked at a bit of a, an initial response. How do we... Uh, out of people as leaders in this time um, with the COVID-19 um, kind of moving around the world quite rapidly. How do we as leaders of churches and ministries, um, yeah, what do we do in this kind of situation when it looks very different and ministry looks very different? We looked at the those four kind of key principles of adapt, protect, respond and lead and unpacking some of that. Um, but this week we thought it'd be helpful just to to delve into that a bit deeper um, looking perhaps around discipleship a bit further, um, but would love to throw to you and, and hear what's on your mind, what God's been prompting. Yeah. Well, I, it's funny. It's, it's actually good you're on today because my mind goes back to a moment from the pre-COVID-19 era. Um, and I think, it was, I think it was the end of last year where both of, both of us, and for those who don't know, Daniel, our intrepid sound man, uh, one of his responsibilities has been to look at our discipleship groups. Um, and we both were reading uh, last year, and I continue to read it into this year, um, a book by uh, D. Michael Henderson, um, which was called John Wesley's Class Meetings. Mm. And essentially what this book looked at was the way in which John Wesley, the revivalist of the 18th century, structured his small groups, uh, discipleship groups, cell groups, whatever you want to call them, um, and what an incredible innovation that was. Um, and I guess to give the listeners some background, if you're not familiar, um, the 18th century was a time of tremendous social dislocation caused by technological disruption um, in which the industrialization of Britain happened. And this caused huge, huge, um, you know, people like change. People moved from the countryside, from the parish system, which they were used to mm. living in, all of a sudden into the cities. The fact that you and I are sitting here in Australia um, on the other side of the world was one of the ways that they dealt with that. Australia was this solution to, you know, people, you know, who are getting involved in criminality, political protest, um, they sent down under. Um, and so the book basically has this great opening chapter where Michael Henderson talks about the fact that um, Wesley comes up with this innovation of these middle-rung groups so in a sense, you had individuals, you had the service, you had the church, and then he creates these mediating institutions where people would come together, be discipled in these smaller groups. And what was brilliant about it, um, um, Henderson points out, is that it met a spiritual need in that all of a sudden, need, if there's going to be a revival, there need to be a renewal of Christians. And people went from being cultural Christians because secularity was beginning to emerge in um, industrial sort of Britain. And so people then were discipled, but at the same time, it provided this social need. And Henderson goes as far making the point that 
this was essentially a religious innovation, but ended up completely changing the entire face of British society. And all these wonderful institutions in Britain, um, you know, from societies like, you know, the Royal Science Society and, and you know, you walk around London and you see all these different, you know, a, a, a science, you know, or not just science, but all these different sort of, um, you know, groups where people came together to meet mm. um, because they didn't have community because they were ripped from the usual sort of um, place where your family and your place informed who you were. That changed the face of Britain. Um, and we had this we had this conversation. I remember saying to you, I feel like we need to come up with something like that. <laughs> and it felt like that we'd come to this really blockage in how we did discipleship groups. Do you remember when when did I say that to you? Oh, uh, it would have been yeah, it would have been like September, October last year or something like that. Um, but we've had conversations even dating back a couple of years around what if kind of sense of possibility around discipleship and groups and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, part, I guess part of the reason that that was, we were having those conversations is we'd began to run into a problem. You know, we have a church with, um, you know, lots of millennials um, and we began to notice with us, it's not just a millennial mm. thing. I don't want to just mention it's a millennial issue, but I'd say the, the issue of a new sort of, posture in society of I would call it hyper busyness I would call it um, maximizing opportunities and choices I would call it a disconnection from a sense of duty or a sort of fantasy belief that you could form a kind of lifestyle in which you can do what you want to do when you want to do it and you can dip into things like community but uh, on your bidding mm, yeah so we, we began to notice that what we would do is we, we would start a discipleship group and you may have 14, 15 people in it. We could put all the people there. There's a leader. And then we were finding like six months later, they were falling over because, not because people didn't want to be part of it. They still wanted to be part of it. But often they would come every four or five weeks. And I remember us having these conversations that there were people who, um, you know, like, like literally leaders were getting burnt out because the, on average, they have say 14, 15 people in a group. And on average, three people would turn up every mm-hmm. night. Um, and I sort of, you know, took this on the road and began asking my other friends about this. And um, this was becoming an increasing problem. So there's this sense where what we were facing with discipleship groups was this, this sense that radical individualism was utterly undermining like those sort of small groups that Wesley had put in place. Yeah. So we felt like, man, we've got to come up with some solution. And we, were, I guess, was sort of trying to work that out and reading these books about Wesley and other people um, but also doing that at a time when social capital was incredibly, incredibly low. And even there were things like, you know, Yong Yi Cho in Korea had, uh, you know, the cell group model where he grew his church, oh, it's like hundreds of thousands of people to this like cell group model. But I think what we missed was the Korean makeup and culture comes from, you know, a worldview where there's a high regard for authority. There's mm. this Confucian uh, you know, traditions where you respect authority, you have a communal view of the world, and you also respect order. Now, to bring this to our current moment, it's really interesting when you look at the, the famous now curve, which everyone in the world knows what it is, where basically everyone's wanting to flatten the curve of COVID-19 yeah, um, yeah. spread, yeah. is that the ones that are doing the best are countries that have that Confucian worldview, which has a high regard for authority, a sense of communal responsibility um, and a high degree of wanting to have order. So, you know, that it's just Singapore, Korea, 
Japan, Hong Kong, Macau. Mm. And then you've got these other countries, like what we've seen in our country where, you know, literally our prime minister's like, guys, we're telling you you could die. Stop going to Bondi Beach in thousands of people. Stop going to get, you know, 50 of your mates down the pub like we saw. I mean, Boris yeah. Johnson says he's going to shut the pub. And everyone, what's everyone do? Let's get down the pub for last drinks. Last like madness. Um, you know, and, and so you saw it in Florida in spring break with, you know, just all these people like, oh, we're young. Who cares? I'll make it anyway. So there's this bizarre thing what's happening is that there's that dynamic going on where our society is currently moved from where I guess many of us as, as Christians saw that radical individualism was dangerous to your health. I mean, sorry, dangerous to your spiritual health. Mm. Now it's literally dangerous to your health. Yeah. And, you know, our slow, low social capital now all of a sudden is working against us. So if you're all of a sudden cut off at this moment, you may have how many thousand Facebook friends but who's going to bring a bag of rice to your house? Um, so we, we're at this moment where we were already struggling um, with like, what do we do about discipleship groups? Yeah. And that, I guess the, what I've found and what we found in that is um, I suppose that you can look at that of kind of a dire situation. What do we do? Panicking, trying to you know, stitch something, but I think what I, one of the learnings I took from from you as a young leader stepping into this was uh, what's the opportunity in this and what's what's the invitation um, from God in this? Which, yeah, I think was looking back now. I'm like, okay, that was a very interesting timing <laughs> that we had that opportunity. I mean, it, and looking at it from that perspective, I feel like you know I felt it. I guess in the first parts of this pandemic, of I'm losing people, mm. you know, and it felt like you get almost this panic, like quick, we're going to get into small groups and we're already losing people like sand sort of dripping through your fingers. And how do we now just rush to ensure that they're together? Now, listen, we're doing that. Like we've got people right now working on how do we, you know, create cohesion as our group. So the, the problem was it was like two weeks ago or a week ago, depending where you are in the world, there was almost a thought that was flying around for a little bit like, oh, brilliant. Okay. So the service is gone. You know, the, the time of the mega church putting on the super service is gone. And now we're like, it's going to be a house church, missional group reality, just in homes, working in the neighborhood, serving each other. But the problem was that lasted about a week um, because yeah, yeah. you've got like increased social distancing happening. I mean, Germany currently is on two, no more than two people can gather. Um, so very quickly, we've gone from, wow, this is going to be this halcyon day of these mission groups. And we, our first live stream Sunday, mm. we got all these pictures back. It was so heartening to see all these discipleship groups, huddles, we call them together. Yeah. Brilliant. People worshiping in homes like this. Okay. I also like, okay, I can handle this. We can live with this for yeah. a bit. That's cool. But then now it's like our state premier here in Victoria, in Australia, is sort of saying, you know, tell us just there was a dinner party where there was... 10 or 12 people gathering and one person rocked up with coronavirus and everyone went away with coronavirus. So even that's been taken away. And, and I've been thinking about this and, and to, to let you know at, at home, dear listener, um, one of also the other reasons I thought it'd be good to have Daniel uh, in on this conversation is Daniel's background is in information technology and networks and systems. <laughs> so that's, that's going to be relevant for where we're about to go. But one of the reasons that the world is suffering this pandemic is because we live in a global system. And, you know, there's this current debates, if you look on, on, on the news, where literally currently, as we're speaking, 
you know, President Trump and people in the US administration are talking about, you know, how much do we sacrifice the economy for shutting things down? I've literally just seen on Twitter some people basically arguing that maybe to keep the economy going, we're just going to have to let some old people die, which is quite horrifying. Mm -hmm. um, but when I look at that, it's not a question of how much do we do the shutdown versus how much do we keep the economy going? Rather, what we're seeing here in the world is that we created a global network with no resilience. Now, Daniel, I'm sure as you've set up networks and systems before, you know, maybe just you know, how important is it to have security in your system? Uh, very. <laughs> so, so we've created this, this global network um, where, you know, you, you don't have to have a factory filled with um, goods here in Australia because I can order them from China with yeah. a click on my, on my computer and they'll arrive here on a jet in a week. And that's brilliant if I don't have to have all this storage space. But, you know, and million, people have made millions and billions of dollars from that. I can order a book, you know, from America and be here in no time or a shirt from Sweden or something. But the problem with that is it's all well and good. It's all well and good to be able to have this lifestyle. You know, and I know people who, you know, they're working in London for a year and then they're in New York and then they're flying around the world. This is all brilliant until one little bug, tiny thing we can't even see without a microscope, comes out of Wuhan mm. and the entire global system shuts down. So this system actually had no resilience because literally the entire global economy, society and politics is literally being shut down as we speak because it failed to deal with this, have the resilience to deal with something like this. Now, the other side effect of this is, what we don't realize is this system in a sense was a fantasy. There was this fantasy that we could keep going and this was all gonna keep being fine and by hooking the world up together that, yeah, there's brilliant things that emerge from that, but also there's the tremendous danger. So what that global system did at the same time as providing all this wealth, it, and, and it had no resilience and it also created people with that resilience. Mm. So we created people who were running on, if the, if the global network was running on a faulty premise, individuals were learning that they could run on a faulty premise that you could just do what you're going to do, YOLO, you know, you do your thing, you, be, you do you, and that it's all going to be fine, that we could live without a social cohesive network. It's all brilliant. And I used to say this, you can live the Western life strip and it's all fine until you get cancer. Yeah, yeah. You know, or until you lose your job. Then you need people. Well, that's happening now. So, you know, I think, I think at the first part of this, I was looking, going, okay, how do we sort of, and we were talking about this before, like how do you sort of then create the ultimate small group system to deal with this moment. And we need to do that. But yeah, I mean, I know you've had that conversation with, with friends. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's such a big conversation, I think. And because there's, I think gathering people together, depending on your cultural background, depending on what content you're going to gather around, depending on like all these kind of variables that can help it, or help it to look a certain way. Um, and again, my, uh, our experience, I suppose, has shown time and time again is, is, all right, where, where is the spirit at work? Where have we seen, um, yeah, well, we, and we've kind of over the last few years experimented with different models, different yeah. ideas, big groups of 30 people, small groups of three mm. people, um, and just going, all right, where, where do we, where have we seen the Holy Spirit at yes. work in that? And that begins to be a bit of a, um, I know, windsock of sorts of going, yes. right, that's, that's the direction yeah. to, to look at or to, to head in. 
Um, and I think I think what this has done is we're now asking that question at a much bigger level. Yeah. And so I think for me, like looking at this, the instead of now like asking the question, and you know, we looked last week at adapt. So I would say one of the key adapt principles of this moment is don't look just to like protect and try and hold on to the sand flowing through your fingers. Like in a sense, what is the spirit doing in this moment? What Mm. is the advantage in this moment? And I look at what's happened is that this is a reboot. This Mm. is literally Mm. somehow someone has flicked the off switch. And again, to Daniel, you're being (laughs) in IT. Um, There's the classic first first solution if someone rings you and says my computer's not working what's the first thing you say Mm, have you tried turning it off and back on again the immortal (laughs) words of roy from the (laughs) it crowd have you tried turning it off and turning it on again and we're at a moment where literally that's what's happening yeah like like this faulty live script that currently is you know short-circuiting um that is seeing that in the West where literally people, we could go on a, I mean, just looked at the newspaper like an hour ago that we could go on a heavier lockdown because Australians are still not getting the fact of social distancing and that they can't just go and hang out with their mates on the beach. Like th- this now is the system has been turned off and turned on again. The church system has been turned off and we're like at that moment where it's just gone dead or you're watching the little sort of thing on your screen as it powers down. Society is at a moment. Like literally images coming in of New York, of, of Madrid. Um, I mean, I, I saw before that in Rio's favelas, the crime gangs just put out a press release saying that they're going to shut down the favelas and they're going to enforce a quarantine if the government won't. I mean, crime gangs are literally shutting down things for actually public health. We're at this incredible social shutdown. No sport, no entertainment, Hollywood stopping, you know, the NBA stopping, the Premier League stopping, cafe stopping, entertainment, international travel, mm. all complete reboot. And as individuals, this complete reboot moment, you cannot do what you want to do when you want to do it. And one of my mantras for the last few years has been, if you, want to, if you can do what you want to do when you want to do it, you are in the most spiritually precarious place. So, Mark, I'm interested in your thoughts here. To continue with the metaphor of a reboot, um, often, like normally, you turn it off and turn it on again to get rid of a bit of a glitch or to iron out a printer, printing issue or whatever. Um, but I'm wondering, is, do you sense there's actually a bigger opportunity in this moment rather than just trying to reboot to get back to normality, but actually reboot into an upgrade of sorts? Yes. 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 That's a great metaphor. It's almost like, yeah, you can reboot and it just starts exactly the same. Yeah. And... You know, I think there's two definite things from this. Number one is post-COVID-19 world is going to look completely different. And I don't know all the details of that. It's early days. Yeah. Yet the international order is going to be changed. Politics is being changed. Social interaction will be changed. Um, you know, I just, I just really think that literally the Czech, gov- the Czech Republican government just said it could be two years before they open their borders. Hmm. That's phenomenal. What does it mean if you're a company that, or even a missions organization or a Christian NGO who's used to flying around the world and you can't fly anymore. So even if we get a vaccine, what does it look like that maybe that's only available in some parts of the world? We don't know what this looks like going forward, but it will look different. That's how history works with giant disruptions like this. And have we ever had a disruption this big? So number one, the world will be different. But you know what we're going to do as humans? Because we're creatures of habit. 
we will try and reboot the system and do it exactly as the same as before. Uh, it was a great, great word. Uh, my friend Ken Costa uh, said uh, on his Instagram this morning, he just put out this word, he just said, you know, we need to be attentive as leaders that the world has fundamentally changed. You know, he doesn't think that church is going to go back in the same way, you know. And I think that the, the easiest, almost laziest view of that is, oh, it's just online church is in now. No, no, no. This is far more profound than that, that there is something deep going on here. And so I think that the metaphor you brought there of an upgrade is, is brilliant because, yeah, you can have that moment and you know far more about computers than I do where, you know, you just shut you down your computer and start it up again. But then there's occasion those times where people like me who know nothing about computers shut it off and there's some vital up, uh, download, you know, like upgrade. What's the word I'm looking for? Update. Yeah, update, upgrade. upgrade. That, that, you know, all of a sudden is then and it sort of takes an extra 10 minutes and you're sitting there and then all of a sudden the update happens and then you turn your computer on and the bug is fixed in mm, the system. Mm. I feel like this is what this moment is. So instead of like trying to keep it going in a sense as we've always understood it, so then we can just re-kick off like we were doing everything before, the church, there was already fundamental weaknesses in the system culturally, economically, socially, politically. We, we were in a precarious place, I believe, as the world. There, there, is, there is possibly a grace in this shutdown. And I say that knowing that literally people are losing their jobs at the moment. Mm. I, I say that I know that, the human mm. cost. I, again, I don't think God caused this, but there's a gift possibly in the crisis. You know, in, in Reappearing Church, I, I talk about the fact that, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones talked about renewal happens and revival happens when men and women get to the end of themselves. And they would go then on this process. And, you know, there's lots of people, I've learned lots from my friend Terry Walling about how leaders get to the end of this point. And they go through a transition where they, they come to the end of their own abilities and they have to then see how themselves have bought into myths and lies about their own abilities, you know, fall back on the grace and power of God. And then once they do that, they're then like their eyes are opened to new possibilities. That invitation is for us as individuals. This is a reboot for individuals. We can't just put on Christianity anymore as simply a chaplain to an utterly dysfunctional, radical individualism that is now a health hazard. Mm. Like we just can't do that. We can't just put on a Christian veneer of church. Now, look, again, too, I have no doubt that when the system turns back on the world, there's going to be people who do that. So I'm not saying it's completely gone. But I think there's an invitation for the church's renewal here to actually try something else. There are people who are going to go through an existential crisis where they're going to be faced with their own mortality and weakness. And that's an invitation both as unbelievers or even believers to go deeper with God. You know, I believe that society is in this complete reboot moment um, where we have to do things differently. I believe that the church is in this reboot moment. So how do we ensure that we're not just trying to get through this? And there's an element, yes, we do need to get through this. But I believe there's this opportunity to upgrade. And so what if this fallow time, if you think about harvesting, which is a metaphor Jesus used mm. a lot, it's a mm. biblical thing. There's that sense where the soil is lies fallow and you plant seeds and the soil heals. And my wife Trudy had a really interesting thing she saw somewhere and she said, it's not a time of hiddenness. There's a difference between hiddenness and hibernation. A bear, when they hibernate, mm. goes and, and nourishes themselves and renews. So I think this is actually the time to sow the seeds for the next renewal. It's not just to hold, be in a holding pattern until we can switch the system back on like it was. Um, 
And, you know, there is this tremendous invitation that we need to start preparing now for when we emerge. What if actually the vision here is how do we come back bigger, better, more hungry for God, more, more spiritually devoted? How do we use this interruption, which will end? It will end. This will pass. But what do we come back with? And, and I believe, I just feel leaders need to pivot in their thinking from a, a reactive, protective thing, which is totally understandable in this situation, to actually know how do I embrace the opportunity, the gift in the midst of this crisis? And perhaps just, just sort of one last thing is, maybe in the midst of that, what we need to give up, there's probably people listening to this and who are like, cool, these guys are going to have the answer. Like, what the heck is going on? One thing we notice about our demographics is, uh, looking at the stats, you just flicked them to me the other day for our first one of these, mm. is normally all that stuff we put out at red is you know heavily in the sort of, I don't know, 21 to 35, you know, yeah. is, our, is our, our listenership. But it was really interesting one. This this like heaps of people from forty to, to fifty nine. Mm-hmm. So there's a, there's a huge learning moment. So what if all of those people, in a sense, realise that it's not going to be like someone's going to crack the code here. It's not like ah oh, church over there with heaps of money or a super smart guy over there is going to crack the code. One of the interesting things is that the global network's still in play. And and I realised this the other day. Um, you know I I saw my wife Trudy showed me. Um, Rend Collective out of Bangor uh, in Northern Ireland, which is the place where the first 24-7 prayer happened, I think in 777 AD um, in the early Celtic Christians. Um, that worship group that came out of it. Now, they're a big, they're a big, mm. big group now. Like, you know, they're, they're one of the big worship groups. Yeah. But there was just this video where I think week one, when we went live stream, I'm like, man, how do we produce something which looks... I'm thinking old era i'm thinking the ascetic era of church where all of a sudden it was like everyone you know we we're trying to look like kinfolk magazine or something you know we're trying to look as perfect as possible and if we can just make it all look aesthetically beautiful then then you know it's, it's brilliant and i looked at this and they were just in a lounge room and they're just they're just bantering at the start someone just on a, flicking on an iphone yeah and then they just started worshiping and, and there was a bit in the middle where they're literally just weeping and crying out and it's joking and it's laughing and it's tears and it's real. And at that moment, I felt the weight go off me, you know, and, and I actually flicked it around to all you guys and said, guys, watch this. Like, we don't have to be perfect here. That, that, and, and what I realized is that someone from Northern Ireland who I can't fly to Northern, I'm meant to be going to Northern Ireland in May, which I know is not going to happen. <laughs> um, that, that, even though now I'm distant, we're actually close. And I realized like, what if the pressure's not on any one person? That all the people listening here is, what if the new reality that, yes, we're still in a global network, we can't fly to each other, but now we're all watching what everyone's doing. Everyone has been thrown into one of the most incredible opportunities for innovation and creativity, which comes through crisis. Mm. Some of their biggest technological advancements happen during war, when we're just for a factory that once made you know, cars has to make tanks, you know, video as we understood it actually was something which came through, I think from bombers. They were trying to like do bomber radar. We have VHSs because, well, no one has VHSs, but (laughs) the video as we understand comes from innovations from war. So actually what if this moment is the reboot, we'll see an incredible outpouring of innovation, not just from a couple of hubs, that, that thing where some church in America with lots of money comes up with this fantastic solution and everyone sort of moves there and goes yeah, to their yeah. conference and see that. I think that's over. 
that I actually think the next revival will be crowdsourced. Yeah. For those who don't know what crowdsourcing is, as an IT guy, just quickly give us a definition of crowdsourcing. Um, yeah, it's basically where there's a kind of a single idea or opportunity or problem um, and rather than just one or two people working on that, that again gets put out publicly almost or like a whole group of people are employed or to come together and work on it together and in, as a crowd. It's that thing of someone who can't afford an operation and instead of one massive donor coming in and saying, here's $80,000, yeah, yeah. it's like... You know, it's like five fifty thousand people giving. I can't do maths. Twenty bucks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Like that's the principle. And so, like, I just want to encourage you if you're listening, you're probably scrambling. But all of us scrambling together and actually moving from scrambling to seeing the opportunity in this reboot, where you actually have some of you have time now to actually stop. You're actually not on that thing of continually having to do the amount of services you've got doing every week. This moment won't last. But don't miss, don't miss the potential for seeds to be sown for the next renewal that God wants to do that's coming soon. Don't miss what God wants to do in the reboot. It's good. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure. <laughs>